21. So if you'll turn there this morning, John chapter 21, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14. And before, before Advent, we were kind of going through uh, the Gospel of John and took a little break. And so uh, this week, we're going to look at verses 1 through 14 and then come back next week and um, kind of close up uh, the Gospel of John if we can do that. So we're excited about Gabe and his family coming here. Um, as Jennifer mentioned, Jim Warner was a teaching elder here for, I don't know, a decade plus. And he, he went to Arizona. And uh, of course, the local Calvary Chapel there scooped him up and and uh, he became an assistant pastor down there. And about, a, I think like two years ago, two and a half years ago, he planted a church. And um, they met in like this little theater and then um, on Christmas Eve, they kicked off their grand opening of their new facility that they, that's, that's, it's all theirs. And so uh, Jim is a great guy and, and I got a chance to talk to Gabe and Gabe's like awesome guy. He's like 30 years old, spent uh, six years uh, in the Navy. Uh, why anybody would go in the Navy, I have no idea. But anyway, spent uh, six years <laughs> six years in the Navy and uh, his two kids. And so we're excited about him coming next week. But for this morning, come with me to John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. And let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, this morning and Lord, just... Uh, how you grab a hold of our hearts when we sing the gospel message, Lord, uh, and our, our hearts are drawn uh, to you, uh, to the living God. And I pray, Lord, that as we study your word this morning, Lord, that you would uh, continue that process of, of drawing us to you and transforming us to be more like Christ, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to John chapter 21, and John tells us after this. And so there's an undetermined period of time here where Jesus decides once again, post-resurrection, to reveal himself to his disciples, back to the text. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. And so John uses this word revealed twice in this verse, and then once in verse 14. And the word for revealed is basically to show oneself. And what we can understand about Jesus here is that Jesus is purposeful, he's intentional, and his desire is to impart to the disciples the purposes of the kingdom of God. In other words, he has uh, risen from the dead, but they're still not quite, they still don't quite have it figured out. If you remember at the tomb, there was Mary Magdalene, and she thought Jesus was who? The gardener. They haven't quite like got it all figured out, even though Peter, as he's the kind of the focus of our text, even though Peter has met the Lord twice, they're, they're still in that place of trying to figure out what is this 
what's going to happen? Matter of fact, if you go to the book of Acts and you look at chapter 1, even, even after the period of 40 days, they're still wondering, like, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? And so they're in a place of questioning. And so Jesus is coming intentionally and purposefully to reveal himself to the disciples. Does Jesus still do that today? Yeah, he does. He's given us his word. He's given us uh, the Holy Spirit that resides within us to help us understand who Jesus is and what his purposes are for our life. Matter of fact, when we read texts like this, narrative text, texts like this, it's helpful like for me to kind of understand that, that the Holy Spirit stands or is in the same proximity to us as Jesus was to the disciples. And so as you go through the narrative and Jesus is revealing himself and he's encouraging the disciples, he stands shoulder to shoulder with them, hand to hand with them. And the Holy Spirit does the same thing with you and I. Stands within our hearts, shoulder to shoulder with us, hand in hand with us, so that we could understand the purposes of God. So the heart of God is to reveal himself to us. And he's intentional about it. The only part of the equation that we have to figure out is will we receive him? Will we allow him to reveal himself to us and speak to his heart, speak to our hearts? Back to the text. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the, sea, uh, to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. You say, where did Tiberias come from? Well, it's the Sea of Galilee, except this, that around 40 A.D., they began calling the Sea of Galilee the Sea of Tiberias because of emperor worship. And John writes his letter to us when? What's kind of the, the ballpark year for John writing his gospel? About 90 AD. And so he's after that, uh, that immediate apostolic period, and he's really giving us the, uh, a, a validation of the, uh, the trust that we can put in the word of God. And so it's a little tiny factor, and John calls it as it was being called in his day. So after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. And then in verse 2, he gives us the, say, the apostolic cohort. He gives us uh, Peter's there, and he says the, in the Greek, it's the, the men of Zebedee. And who, would, who might that be? The men of Zebedee, or who are, or I would say this way, who, who are Zebedee's boys? Yeah, it's James and John. But John doesn't like giving up his name, does he? All through the narrative, we're going to find that John, I, I kind of think he's humble, but in some ways, I think he's an instigator. Because he's going to come along, even in the text that we're going to look at, and he's going to say this, that Jesus revealed himself to the disciple that, that he loved the most, or the disciple that Jesus loved. So it's kind of like if, when you begin to parse the verses here, you get to understand that there's a real relational dynamic going on between these guys. And so Jesus comes to reveal himself in this ways, in this way to the apostolic group of men. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, 
I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Now, I know that there's a lot of fishermen in our church. And, and what they feel about it is that a bad day fishing is better than any good day at work. And I, I'm not really a fisherman, but, you know, sitting at the lake or going out in a boat, I get that. When we look at why, I think the default position for many Bible teachers is that they said the heck with the mission, we're going fishing. And a big deal is made about that Peter's walking away. But is that really true? Peter's already met the Lord twice. And do you remember what the angel said at the tomb? He says, in Matthew 28, he says, go tell the disciples that I am going to go ahead of them to Galilee and I'll catch up with them then. Do you remember that? And so the default here of, of painting Peter in a way, you might say, why is this so important? Just hang with me one more minute. The default position to paint Peter that he's walking away from the Lord, I just don't think the text brings that out. What you see, Peter is, is really responding in a heart of obedience to do the things that we teach our kindergartners to do. We teach our little ones, if you know it, if you're a mom or dad, you probably know it, be where you're supposed to be and do what you're supposed to do. If you're a military guy, that's called a what? A, a general order, right, a standing order. And standing orders are good orders. What's, when you're in basic training, what's the first general order? Anybody, anyone in the military guys want to chirp up? I'm going to take charge of my post, right? And I will not leave, and I'm going to take charge of all the government equipment that's in front of me. And I'm not going to leave my post till I'm what? Till I'm relieved. Why is this so important? Why make a big case for this? Because Peter, Peter's ministry is in the muddle. You know, you know what I mean by that? The muddle of life. Peter isn't quite sure of how he fits into the mission. He's not quite sure about kingdom restored to Israel. Am, am I going to be restored to the Lord? That's, ne that's next week. Peter's in that place of, of in the muddle of life where the mission is not clear and there's a pause in life. And we all get to those places in life. We get to, we're, we're going down life's way. We, we have a plan vocationally, and then, and then something happens. We, we get the call into the office. Well, you know, we're having a cutback, and, you know, we're going to have to let you go. Well, it can go even, it can go even worse. Uh, we're not, we're having a cutback and it's you. 
we have these pauses in life where we're not clear what the next step is for us. We're not sure how we fit into the plan of our company or, or, uh, or we had a plan for our life. And life, life becomes paused and we're wondering what the next step is. What you do in the muddle determines all that happens to your life in the future. Like I can speak to guys because last time I checked, I am a guy. I can speak to that, like being in that muddle vocationally. I, I understand. I can speak to the place of being in the muddle of family life and not knowing what the next step is or how to raise these teenagers that, you know, you can fill in the blank. You're in that, you're in that middle place. And as a guy, there's all kinds of ways to destroy our life. We can go down a road where we violate our marriage vows. We can go down a road where we engage in immoral behavior because it's, it's in that place where things are paused that we have to make a choice. And Peter's in that place. And what Peter decides is this. I'm going to go back to a reset point. I'm going to go back and I'm going to take a day and, I, and I'm simply going to go fishing and I'm going to bring some food into the group of guys I'm hanging out with and I'm not going to do anything stupid. See, the temptation when, when life is in the muddle and life is paused is to do something that's, that offends God's order and goes against the general orders that we have the standing orders, which is to love God, love people, obey his word, and stay in fellowship. And when, when Peter comes to this place, what Peter models for us is how to live life when you're not quite sure what the next step is. And then the end of the story, or the middle of the story, and the end of the story is what? When Peter is in that place, Jesus comes and finds him. Yeah. And Jesus does what only God can do. So the disciples, they're in this pause place, this muddle place. Who appears to them? Who, who reveals themselves to them? Jesus does. Jesus reveals himself. Then they go fishing and they don't catch anything. And Jesus does only what God can do. The fish are there. Why don't you throw your net over? They do it. They experience success. And then they come to find out, oh, it's Jesus. And so 
in life, we come to these intersections and we're at a pause and in a muddle. And what Peter shows us is just do what's right. Just stay faithful. And Jesus will come and find you and give you the answer and give you the next step to take. Peter was like, are you going to restore the kingdom or not? Peter was like, in a deeper way, are you going to restore me or not? Come back to the text. It's a narrative. It speaks for itself in many ways. Verse 4, just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Why not? Well, we've already mentioned it's not an uncommon experience. You remember at the tomb, but you remember on the road to Emmaus? It wasn't until Jesus did what? Broke bread that they saw him. We could also kind of go down the natural way saying, if you, you know, I live on the ocean, you know, most mornings, you know, if you're 500 yards out on a boat, you can't see the shore. There's the mist and a haze and sometimes a fog. But it's not an unusual event. Back to the text. Yet day was breaking. Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, it's not the best translation. It's more like lads. Hey, lads. Or hey, boys. Have you ever been out for fishing? Fishing? And you didn't catch anything. And as soon as you get to shore, your wife says, did you catch anything? How aggravating is that, isn't it? And the boys go, what? No. <laughs> they answered him, no. He said, Jesus said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and an amazing thing happened. Now, you read some Bible, uh, they specialize in gymnastics, biblical gymnastics, and they say, oh, the right side of the boat's the lucky side, culturally, and blah, blah, blah. That's all a bunch of baloney. I, I, I think in the text here, there is something deeper going on. Do you remember back in Luke chapter 5? There's another episode of Catching Fish. And... I, and my read on this is, is that they, the Holy Spirit's working in their life. And they, all, they can't process everything that's going on except that they've learned to trust. That's why I'm not ready to throw out Peter under the, under the boat, so to speak. Because he is responding in obedience. They do respond in faith. Because why? Because they're growing and they're maturing and the boys say, they may not have said it intellectually, the boys said, wow, we've done this once before. Don't, do, you, do you remember something? Okay, let's just give it what? Let's just give it a try. And Jesus does what only God can do in their life and gives them this great haul of fish. And then you see Hulk Peter. I mean, 
have you ever picked up a 153 codfish? Anybody? Neither have I. But the picture here is of an immense amount of fish. Once again, we always go back to Bible gymnastics here. And, and one guy challenged me this morning at the 8.30. You can challenge me too. It's just my opinion. He said, oh, there's great meaning in 153. I said, get out of here. Well, there's Bible scholars. They have, they have like five or six like gymnastic type reasons. And, and, and I'm kind of simple. I said, oh, it's, it's 153. You know why? Because they counted them. And there was an eye, and the point of the matter is that there was an eyewitness to all that's going on. The dawn's breaking. They don't recognize Jesus. They cast the net. Back to the text. Verse 7. John's so cool here. He says, they, because the, the, they couldn't haul it all in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple, <laughs> I'm sorry, I find this endearing. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, the head of the church, it is the Lord. <laughs> and when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw, I love this part, and threw himself, propelled himself into the sea. The other disciple came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of that fish that you boys have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many that the net was not torn, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish... This was now the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the apostolic band after he was raised from the dead. So it's a simple narrative, isn't it? Peter models for us how to be in that place where you're not quite sure what the mission is anymore. You're not quite sure how you fit into that mission in that place where life is paused, Peter models for us how to muddle through life in a way that does no harm, in a way that demonstrates obedience, in a way that still embraces faith. He does that simply by going to Galilee being where he's supposed to be and simply stepping back in for a day or two or whatever of doing what he's supposed to do. And out of that, Jesus does only 
what God can do. He reveals himself and he shows them the next step, which for, in this narrative, was cast the net on the right. I think that's one of the greatest lessons that you can learn in life. Is that when life is paused and you're not clear about the mission or how you fit into it, be where you're supposed to be and you are. You're in the Lord's house on Sunday morning. Do what you're supposed to do and you're doing that. Studying God's word. Being faithful and loving God, loving people. And then the promise that we see in the midst of that is God will find you. He will find you. Do you think he knows where you live? Remember the Apostle Paul and Ananias? Says to Ananias, go to Straight Street in Damascus. I don't know if he gave him the house number or whatever. But God will find you. And he'll give you the next step. Remember that first general order? I'll take charge of my post. All the property that's around me. And I'll not leave my post until I am properly relieved. A general order is a good order. And Peter models for us how to live obediently, faithfully, with faith in the muddle of life. Amen? We're going to celebrate the Lord's table in closing this morning, and we're going to invite Ben to come and uh, give us a, a minute or so to reflect.